Yes. Making a reveal. Making a reveal. episode 28 of Rankin Review, Real Life Horrors. That's right, this episode we're going a little bit different. The movies we look at are all absolutely based on true events and uh, strive for some authenticity telling stories that are undoubtedly horrifying and true. We're looking at movies called Downfall, Alive, United 93, 127 Hours, Touching the Void, and Schindler's List. So not a light episode. <laughs> um, there will be coarse language and spoilers for both the films we talk about and history itself. And I just want to put out a warning for people listening. Um, even though we maybe sometimes take a bit of a jokey t- tone to some of the subject matter, um, it's all just in, a, in an effort to relieve sort of the ugliness of the, the dealing with such terrible subject matters. We certainly mean no disrespect. I speak on behalf of myself, your host and random Canadian, Larry Parsons, and my returning guest, Charlene Roach. I hope you enjoy episode 28, Real Life Horrors. Alright, Charlene Roach is back. For this episode of Franken Review. And uh, as we discussed last time you were here, you're not a big fan of horror movies. This per is true. Se. Yeah. Even though we watched six horrific shark movies uh, <laughs> and reviewed them together. Uh, not a big fan of horror movies. So you decided when you chose this list, I did not inflict it upon you, <laughs> to go with this list called Real Life Horrors. I now, did. And I kind of <laughs> was regretting it a little bit in the past couple of weeks when I had to watch all six of them. But I, uh, But I did it to myself. People say they don't like horror movies because why? Because it makes them feel gross. It makes them feel like uncomfortable. They don't it, like the sensation of feeling disturbed or frightened. And I think that these it's movies the jumping that really gets to me. The jumping, but well, yeah, I guess there's yeah. maybe not a lot of jumping in these, but no. I, I think that all of these movies at least have moments that are horrifying. Yeah. But none of these movies would be called horror movies per se. These are drama, no, no, historical I mean, dramas basically is what yeah. we're looking at for the most part here yeah. about some of the darkest corners of human history that we <laughs> we can. It's a darker list of movies than I think torture porn was. I did the list of hmm. torture porn movies with Jared and there was rape and torture and horrible stuff that happened in those movies. Yeah. But as far as the subject matter, the content in it, I think that this might be the toughest list uh, of six movies. To, to, as far as the intense levels of... It is really tough. And it's interesting you bring up the, the torture porn episode because yeah. I did listen to that. And, of course, I did not watch those movies. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and uh, that still, to me, seems more horrific than this. But I, but I absolutely see your point anyway. And the point is, is that as terrible as torture porn is, is it's fiction. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Um, but <laughs> this, we know that these stories are true. All of the stories depicted in all of the and films that's a, that we talk about. And that's a different about, level. Yeah. yeah. All the films are based on true events. How close they go to them can be debated, but the nutshell of the story cannot be debated. Mm. Um, terrible things happen in the real world. 
Um, so, no, you don't have to deal with an axe murderer chasing some scantily clad woman down a hallway again. Mm-hmm. You don't have to deal with a terrible slimy monster jumping out of the dark. Someone trying to pop out your eyeball? No, we're not oh. going to deal with that. But we're going to look at Hitler. And we're going to look at what he did in the concentration camps. And uh, we're going to look mm-hmm. at some pretty horrific survival scenarios. Yes. We're gonna, <coughs> excuse me, we're going to look at a film set in 9-11. I mean... This is as dark as they come. So it's yeah. funny that, like, uh, you don't like horror movies, but, again, I don't think anybody <laughs> anybody here, like, Steve Spielberg would be offended if I called Schindler's List a horror movie. But he wouldn't be offended if I told him it was horrific. Because yes. it's supposed to be horrific. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. But I find it interesting, the dichotomy, and this is not a judgment on you, this is just an observation, that mm. people who, like, hate horror movies and would, like, think less of me for watching the Friday the 13th mm. movies... <laughs> really get into movies like these and the, they really in a lot of ways they're they're on a legit subject but they're working that same nerve that horror movies do almost to a more extreme degree i think because like you because said we don't have the censor shield of fiction before us no. we don't have like the the sort of artifice mm-hmm. of the familiarity of your average creature feature or slasher movie there's nothing to base this on except for the events that they were based on mm-hmm. and if you can't sort of get a handle on it as you know is it entertainment or is it a history lesson is it like <sighs> and you struggle to call it entertainment because then somehow that dishonors you know particularly the ones involving hitler yeah right you do it's it's not entertaining and even when we were talking about it earlier, and I said, I'm worried I'm going to say, oh, I really enjoyed this, but that's not the right word. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but still, you know. Uh, these they, movies, they, I have they've to done a dust good job. off a, a couple of them. Schindler's List had a coat of dust on it, because mm-hmm. I don't revisit Schindler's List a lot, you know. I think it was 17 the last time I saw Schindler's List. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think it's an amazing movie, but it, mm-hmm. and I have it on my shelf of movies, but it's not... I will watch Friday the 13th more often than I watch Schindler's List. That does not mean that Friday the 13th is a better movie. That's not the argument (laughs) that I'm making. No. Um, The other thing that I want to say about this selection of movies, we have really extreme cases of, like, historical violence that we all recognize, like the Holocaust Mm. and, like, 9-11. But I also included a couple of sort of smaller-scale things, Mm -hmm. which would be the more mountaineering ones, which shouldn't... Touching the Void and Alive, yeah. which is and sort of more survival a, stories yeah. of people who went through a horrendous event and yeah. got through to the other side, and this is what yeah. they went through, and this is how it changed them. It's, yeah. in a way, a smaller scale story, but it's addressing the same things that I think are being addressed in the bigger films like Schindler's List and Downfall. Um, so, in a way, this is a really broad category. We could have thousands of films in this list. <laughs> We've distilled <laughs> it down to six. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Thank you for doing this. And I hope you don't <laughs> think that was a judgment on you, me saying that. Uh, I, don't, I don't think it's weird necessarily. I understand why you would choose this list. But right. it's as horrifying as anything I've seen so far in the show. Is, sure. what, is what I guess the bullet point that yeah. I'm trying to make. <laughs> the movies that we are going to look at are... As the aforementioned uh, Schindler's List, we have a German film about the last 10 days, I believe, mm-hmm. of Hitler's life called mm-hmm. Downfall. We have the Peter Green, Paul Greengrass, sorry, directed film uh, Flight 93. Or uh, United 93. Or United 93, thank yeah. you, about the uh, plane that didn't reach its destination yeah. on September 11th. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> we have an interesting sort of Half documentary, half feature film called Touching the Void. Yes. 
And we have the Frank Marshall motion picture Alive. 127 yeah. Hours, the, which is a fairly recent Danny Boyle movie um, mm-hmm. about uh, a, another hiker who finds himself in a life or death situation and with no one to reach out to. Mm-hmm. Very bleak. Very bleak bunch of movies. <laughs> Although uh, for a bleak bunch of movies, uh, most of them had hope to them. I think the yeah. only one that I really yeah. felt like... I guess the two World War Two movies were hard to walk away whistling from. Downfall and Schindler's List. There's just there's just no way to paint a happy ending on on, on it on it, you know. No. But um, other than it ended. Other than it ended, yeah. um, for us it was a matter of the credits rolling. For them it was a lot yeah. of a lot of death. Absolutely. Anyway, are you ready to duck into this? Let's do I feel it. like I plowed all over you through this introduction. Do you have anything <laughs> you'd like to say about the? A real life work. I mean, when you chose the list, was it because they were true stories that that, that it attracted you to them, or uh, just the fact that they weren't horror movies that they were drama? I did or... find them easier to stomach than the ones with the like the torture porn example, right? right? Although I certainly see your point that that they are in a way way more horrific than that because they you know these incidents actually did happen part of it was like when i saw schindler's list for example i hadn't seen that since i was 17 i knew it was a good movie but i knew i was gonna have to get my arm twisted to to watch it again and i think i part of me did want to kind of revisit it (laughs) it's been oh 20 years (laughs) so um that was part of the reason you know to um and I really like touching the void. Yeah. Spoiler alert. <laughs> so those kind of things drew me to it. Yeah. yeah. And then it was different from your typical Because there are choices. true stories, the film sort of owes respect to the subject matter. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing jokey yeah. or winky about any of these movies. These are no. trying to be as real world as possible. And that is to their credit. But mm-hmm. because they're being as real as possible, they can be quite grueling. Yeah. Um, they're way more real, necessarily, than anything that torture porn could ever produce. Right. And I don't think that they could. The, like, like, or that I would want to. Like, if, if they tried to make a real movie about Jeffrey Dahmer drilling holes in people's heads and trying to create a sex slave zombie for himself, which is legit what he was trying to do, nobody really wants that movie. No. Maybe there's some sicko out there who's trying mm-hmm. to make that movie, but I don't think anybody really, really wants that movie. Yeah. But I do think there is part of human nature that does want to look at those dark corners, not just because we fear them, but because we're kind of fascinated by them. And sure. when they're true stories, that fascination is sharpened to much more uh, a mm-hmm. finer point because we can't say this is mm-hmm. something someone made up. Someone really did that. That really yeah. happened to someone. Yeah. The point I'm just trying to make is that it's it's difficult to talk about it because on one hand you have these individual harrowing accounts of of people surviving ridiculous circumstances they shouldn't have seen themselves through, but there is a very strong element of hope. Yeah. Right? Looking at the dark corners, that's what you're talking about. Um, but then on the other hand, when you're looking at the World War Two or United 93, um, those are legitimately dark corners. Yeah. You know, and uh, sometimes I think maybe you shed some light on them to understand them or just to not make them so dark (laughs) for a moment. But you have to honor the fact that humanity went there. Yeah. Right. And to 
to try and tuck it away and not acknowledge it would be wrong. And isn't that the point of art to some extent is to, to draw out that stuff well, and, and, and examine it? I do think that's one of the important things that it does. I don't think you're you're necessarily in, you, you know, you have to do that every time you go. I think there's nothing wrong with making a march, monster movie if that's what you want to Oh, make. no, not at all. But if you're, doing, all. if you're doing something that is based on true events, it does deserve respect. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and like I say, I think the reason that we're looking at them, is not just because they're dark and just because they're scary, but because they're true. That's what gives them their extra mm-hmm. fascination, and that's mm-hmm. what makes us kind of want to look at them. We are attracted and repulsed. <laughs> the bullet point is I'm really glad that you picked the real world horrors. I think it's an interesting topic, but uh, much the same way I did with Torture Porn, I would discourage anybody from watching all of these movies in a close period together, because it will have a dour psychological effect (laughs) on you. Yeah. And, um, yeah, because there are real subject matters, there's almost a default. The movie is... We like the movie already because of what it's trying to do. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think the things that are historical documents or dramas um, kind of start a little bit ahead of the game because there's an immediate and compelling story there. The flip side of that is is that if you fuck that up, if you disrespect and dishonor that, you have failed as huge as you can in art, <laughs> really. Yeah, it's a big fail. So, um, yeah, respect. <laughs> and you know what? All six of these movies do a fairly good job, to be honest. There's not really a stinker in the bunch, so. I agree. Morgen schon werden mich Millionen verfluchen. Aber das Schicksal wollte es nicht anders. Let's start with Hitler, shall we? <laughs> um, okay, here, I'm going to destroy some of these uh, names here. Yes, our apologies. Um, Oliver Hirschenbegel, <laughs> I believe, is the name of the director of this film. And what we're depicting here is not the full sweep of, of Adolf Hitler's life. In fact, it's the last ten days of his life, largely spent in a bunker as the city is being surrounded by the Russian forces. The ground is shaking, literally the lights are blinking on and off, and the end of the war is in front of him, in his lap, and undeniable. And, as history tells us, rather than being taken, he and his inner circle of Nazis live out their last ten days. And they show us what happened to them, and as... Uh, honest and frank and compelling a way as you, I could imagine them doing. I think part of what gives the movie its power is that it is a German film. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're they're looking at their own history. They're shooting it on on their own <laughs> grounds, and they are being honest about it. What happened with the Nazis and Hitler? And I don't think this is a controversial statement. It is horrifying and a stain on the history of humanity. And um, that is what is under the looking glass in Downfall. Uh, April 1945, Hitler's Last Days. What did you think of Downfall, Chuck World? <laughs> it's very good. I mean, as, as you mentioned, it's, it doesn't need to add a lot. It's compelling as is. 
um, watching how this man confronts or refuses to confront his downfall. <laughs> and uh, I think, in general, as we get into reviewing these films, I was really challenged by not just ultimately trying to rank them um, by their stories alone, you know, and those are so compelling on their own and deserve so much respect and what have you. It's, it's hard to keep that at arm's length, but, it, but really when we're reviewing all six of these, we have to look at, do they do that story justice? Yeah. And what are the ways that a person can do a story like that justice? And so that got me thinking. And then, so I sort of had to develop some criteria around what I was looking at. And so some of the stuff was, um, you know, did they film on location? Mm. How close to the actual? And that's what it ultimately is. How close to the actual story did they get? Did they know the people who were involved with it? Did they talk to them? How do those people feel about their story being told? It's their story. Yeah. You know, if they did it justice, they would stand behind it and support it. And so along those sorts of lines. So back to Downfall, some of the things that Downfall did that I thought were very strong was, um, for example, the the recreation of the bunker. Yeah. It it was done in a movie studio, but it was done to exact specifications. And it was also all closed in. <laughs> so unlike typical movie sets where they open up the ceiling so they can get in their lighting and what have you, they didn't do that here. Yeah. And so a huge challenge technically, but also bringing the actors closer to what that experience is of living out your last days right. in a bunker. I think it also helps, and I know this is, of course, not a fictional story, but from a storytelling standpoint, it's weirdly, it's strangely potent that they are literally buried underground. Like, they have their heads buried in the sand type of imagery because Mm -hmm. they aren't willing to accept defeat even when it's obvious, Mm -hmm. and they don't accept defeat. Uh, Some people will argue there's nobility in suicide, and maybe in some cases they weren't, but to me, these were rats caught in a trap. You know, and we watch them, you know, gnawing at each other and slowly dying off one at a time. Um, is, is how entertaining that is, is I guess a matter of taste, but I do think it's amazingly well done. And you said, as far as attention to detail and the showing respect, we mentioned when we were looking up at the inf- information about the film how much the actors looked like the historical figures they're yes. portraying. And the conviction with which they portray it. Mm-hmm. And this isn't Indiana Jones Nazis. These Nazis have dimension. But we can't deny, we can't tell ourselves these are anything but the inner circle. If you're in the bunker with Hitler, I mean, yeah. if these guys aren't true blue Nazis, there were no true <laughs> Nazis, right? right? Uh, they're, they're the brain trust. They are responsible for everything that happened. For all the wars, for all of the death, for, you know, the yeah. Holocaust. Yeah. Everybody with blood on their hands were, was in that bunker. And uh, they aren't willing to look at it. Uh, I mean, <laughs> realistically, how do you wrap your head around that? Yeah. So there was some people that would complain about the movie that they gave too much humanity to Hitler. That in his desperation, in his death throes, as it were, as he is babbling incoherently and having his childish temper tantrums, we see him not as a monster, but as a human being. And is that a bad thing? And I don't think it is, because, as mm-hmm. we said, he was a human being. Mm-hmm. He wasn't Beelzebub, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and I don't think he developed um, that 
right from the bunker, right? Like obviously the the mad the madness. Absolutely, that was a, a factor of him going downhill, right? But the the opening of the movie is him inviting in these secretaries to see which ones one or ones will be his personal secretary. And he picks and the prettiest, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> They're all good, but yeah, yeah, he does, he does. And uh, but he's also very uh, kind and respectful, and uses a gentle tone. He tells and, a joke. He and, laughs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's true that when we watch movies about Hitler, that's not the Hitler we see. And granted, uh, you know, I, I understand why that is. You know, the, not... the yelling Hitler, the order giving Hitler. I mean, that guy is is the, the one Hitler that caused see. the destruction, right? But yeah. it's true. He he could still smile at someone. <laughs> Why should that seem so, so odd? odd? But it yeah. but it does when it comes to that, that guy. The Hitler that we are comfortable seeing yeah. is the Charlie Chaplin Hitler. Yeah. You know, the goof, like like the clown Hitler. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, because we want to push down this boogeyman. We want to take the power out of him. But he was just a dude and mental issues or not, you know. Yeah. He managed to convince a lot of people to do a lot of wrong. Um, it's chilling stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, other things that I really connected with in the story, um, the last line of defense to the city, to Berlin, where Russians are, are dropping shells on it regularly. They know Hitler's there. They don't know where. They don't know exactly where these bunkers are. And they're not being gentle about finding him at this point. Yeah. So a lot of these German families or the people who are trying to live there are, are, are put in the position of just defending their homes Mm -hmm. and the fact that they're still recruiting prepubescent kids to go out there and fight this losing battle so horrifying Mm -hmm. I remember watching that scene seeing that this guy would willingly send they weren't his kids but they were kids to a fruitless death like upset me and we weren't even close to where we were going to get to parental betrayal (laughs) in this movie (laughs) Yeah. Because another true detail of the movie, and probably what makes me feel like this is a horror movie, and yeah. maybe, if not for this podcast, would have made the movie a one-timer. It's not just the evil Nazis who kill themselves at the end of this. They take their families with them. Yeah. And in this case, seven children are poisoned by their mother. And we see it one at a time, every single step. And I'm it's flinching. a two-step process. Yeah. So we, yeah. So you go through it twice. Yeah. You watch them get drugged, because she, she, you Puts know, was gently. doing it in a you know gentle way. <laughs> yeah. You watch them get drugged, and then she comes back down with a cyanide pill, right, capsule, and puts it in their mouth and scrunches their jaw and their head together. So they bite down on the capsule, and then you see the kids shake a bit. And the idea of a mother doing that to her children is so horrifying that if you proposed it in a horror movie, it would probably be shouted down as bullshit. Right. But again, right. we can't, we don't have that safety net here. So, I no. mean, I realize these are actors and all of them doing amazing jobs, by the yes. way. I realize yes. these are actors, but it is yeah. upsetting to watch. Yeah. Um, and... I don't feel any elation. I'm like, I guess I'm glad that these Nazis aren't doing any further damage. But as they start killing themselves, uh, you know, as we see the not just the relationship between Hitler and his wife deteriorate, but, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) she goes and kills herself uh, knowingly, you know, like 
we see all these pieces. Do I feel bad for Hitler? No, but I feel bad yeah. watching it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can't escape it. It's heavy, and it's real, and it's undeniable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a valid story that probably needs telling. Because yes. it's easy to portray Hitler as the clown or as the la la la. Yeah. Make him real, and tell of the dirty details, and show the dirty details. I mean... Uh, again, I think a lot of credibility is given to the movie by the fact that it's a German film and by the fact that they were that mm-hmm. careful about how they handled it. Mm-hmm. It would mm-hmm. have been really easy, especially, and you'd think they'd almost <clears throat> want it to say, this guy was a complete, out of nowhere, like a one in a gabillion chance that somebody like this could present himself. And the truth is, is that people like this exist everywhere all the time. They don't usually climb to a height of that power, but... There are potential Hitlers alive and walking around in the world today. Yeah. The perfect set of circumstances have to happen to make them sort of blossom into their full horror. But it happened in this case. Mm -hmm. And it's worth looking at, if for no other reason, so that we're aware of it. So that we can maybe pretend that we'll be able to stop it from happening again. Okay, so this whole enterprise of downfall is sort of based on a book which was written by Hitler's personal secretary. Um, Mm. I'm not going to attempt to say her name because I'm not German and I won't get anywhere near it. Um, (laughs) So part of the authenticity of the narrative that we're getting is that it's based on people who were sort of on the ground floor and were there until the very very last few days. And dramatic license is necessarily taken, but we know the where's and when's. We just don't know what the final moments were exactly like. But um, there was a sort of a real pair of human eyes as a basis for the foundation of, of the of the layout of the film, which I think, again, adds to the... Uh, yeah, if you're going to tell stories of this weight and magnitude, you better be linked to someone who actually knew what went on. That is the best way you can honor that story. And you're right, they still have to take dramatic license, right? Because they don't know every single moment, yeah. and it's a movie, Yeah. right? Um, but generally speaking, I thought that this was very straightforward and not really making a lot of comments one way or the other but just saying here's how it unfolded yeah uh it's an experience from the movie like i do recommend the movie and recommend it heavily but i mean it's not going to make you feel good watching it that's going to be a common no. thing you'll hear this when i oh talking about a lot of the movies in this list but like it's really good but it'll make mm-hmm. you feel really bad but it, mm-hmm. it's yeah, and even with that dramatic license, it's still largely a history lesson. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And there is there is something to be said about spending time doing that sometimes. You can tell true life stories even like, because even the quote-unquote happy endings don't necessarily feel happy. They're, 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 they're <laughs> there's a cruelty to everything. And uh, again, I already talked about it, but the fact that these people are pretty evil and they're responsible for a lot of evil things um how we feel about them meeting their end is is mixed feelings i heard this referred to as like watching a bunch of rats being drowned in a barrel well said that's very true you know like it it is sort of like that and is that entertainment Mm -hmm. uh if it is although i will credit you it's a very different form of entertainment it's in the same wheelhouse of the torture porn. <laughs> um, torture porn doesn't have the noble uh, enterprise of trying to educate and inform and tell a historical story. But no. in a way, it is that watching rats being drowned in a bucket. 
Yeah. Fair enough. Um, Bruno Gantz plays Adolf Hitler in this movie. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you've ever seen an internet meme or a YouTube video with uh, Hitler having a flip out and the subtitles being changed to have him complaining about Star Wars or whatever ridiculous thing the internet has been, it's (laughs) taken from this film. So if you watch this film and feel like there's a weird sense of deja vu, it's not because you were Hitler in a past life. (laughs) (laughs) Although you might have been. No one really knows. (laughs) Who are we to say, really? (laughs) Exactly. That might be your... No. Ugh. Terrible cross to bear. But anyway, um, yeah, and and it was interesting. I read an article about the director talking about that because, of course, his friends and what have you, people he knows, (laughs) sends him whatever newest version is out there, and he says he loves them. Yeah. You know, they're really, they are, they're really entertaining, right? <laughs> so, yeah, that says something about his freak out scenes, though, right? <laughs> so inspiring that's Well, like, and when you're dealing with something out. that harsh, it's a laugh or cry situation, I give you a license to laugh. This movie doesn't, but uh, I'm not saying no. that you're bad to laugh no. or downplay it. I mean, it's okay to laugh at silly Hitler, but it, this movie, quite rightly, takes Hitler seriously. Um, mm-hmm. And it's because of that very heavy and dour. One hundred percent worth watching. Yes. In fact, like uh, it's one of those movies that you, it's not so much like a recommend as it's like something you should watch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, I can say watch the Harry Potter movies entertaining, but I will never say you need to watch the yeah. Harry Potter movies, yeah. right? But uh, I don't know. This movie has an authenticity that is kind of hard to match. After 20 years, you analyze a lot. You remember people, heroism, the miracle of the Andes, that's what they called it. To be affronted by solitude without decadence or a single material thing to prostitute it elevates you to a spiritual plane. Where I felt the presence of God no, there's the God they taught me about at school. And there is the God that's hidden by what surrounds us in this civilization. Are we supposed to fly that close to the mountains? That's the God I met on the mountain. Uh, way back in Rank and Review History, uh, in episode three, we reviewed a movie called Arachnophobia, which was directed by Frank Marshall. It was sort of a nice light, spiders taking over <laughs> a small town sort of movie. I remember um, that one. So maybe Frank Marshall will take us into some lighter territory here, right? Well, Hitler's pretty dark. So let's move to the subject of cannibalism <laughs> and mountain survival, shall we? <laughs> um, this is a true story based on a rugby team. Uh, f- flying home, or were they going to or from now? I, I think they were going to the match. To the game in Chile, right? Yeah. And their plane goes too low over a mountain range, and they crash. Yeah. And uh, they are not. Re- the plane is marked missing, and eventually just assumed lost and unrecovered. Mm-hmm. And sixteen survivors come down the mountain seventy-two days later, and the film depicts that basically from the moment they get on the plane to. Mm-hmm. The moment that they are rescued. Mm-hmm. Um, so no, actually it's not a nice light comedy at all. It's <laughs> just as brutal and harsh yeah. as everything else. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's a real life horror, so it's keeping in the theme. Uh, and we're sort of going to be swinging f- back and forth, like I said, from the grander big historical things like 
World War II to sort of microcosms of sort of survival that is very real too and in every way you know as dramatic as dramatically big in a lot of ways even though the scale of it is smaller Mm -hmm. so what did you think of Alive? Uh, it's it's see here's where I was talking before about struggling going it was good I enjoyed it no it's not really a movie that you enjoy right (laughs) but it's a bit dated right it's from 93 and I think when I watched it yeah, it looked you like it was from it. the 90s, yeah. right? It was kind of, you know, it made me realize that uh, often these days we're so about the gritty realism and the camera work, the, like you're there or, you know, those sorts of things that bring you closer and closer to that actual experience. Yeah. So when you go back to 93, you're like, wow, this is kind of a slightly lighter. They could have taken, they would have taken it further these Absolutely. days, right? That aside, um, uh, I know that they worked with the the survivors very closely when making the film, and so I thought that that was to their benefit. And uh, they actually filmed um, on a mountain in British Columbia. Um, you know, that says something, that you're willing to go to that environment, that, that you can't ever recreate something like that. You have to be there to, for it to be authentic, and I think that that's... There Good. are a few shots where a recognizable blue screen or matting work mm. has been done in the movie. Yeah. And because, you know, film has progressed, this movie was in the very early 90s, we can sort of recognize it. But as much as possible, they tried to shoot this in the elements and make it as real as possible. And it works enough. I don't think it's too dog-eared as to hurt the, the authenticity. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that sort of stand out is like the actors in it at the time, a lot of them were no names, but some of them have sprouted up to bigger things, most notably obviously Ethan Hawke, mm-hmm. but uh, Josh Hamilton has a small supporting real role, I've always been a big fan of his, yeah. and Ileana Douglas, yeah. um, who is sort of does some poorie roles in some Scorsese movies, and uh, character actors you see show up in a lot of films, so I think it's really good. Um, again, really solid actors playing real people mm-hmm. in a really awful situation um the plane crash is very well realized like and still and even in watching it it yeah (laughs) yeah it does uh and uh i think every time anybody gets on a plane even if they're not phobic of it there's that little bit of like we're not meant to be flying in the (laughs) air And, and like uh i think that if nothing else works in the film and i think that it all will but i think that 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 plane crash will hit a uniform nerve for anybody who's got an issue with with air travel Um, because there is just a degree of helplessness to it. Once the plane hits the side of the mountain and they're just rolling down the mountain, uh, it's just a matter of when and how they stop and if they do or do not explode. Uh, Survival is completely luck-based. There's nothing you can do. Mm -hmm. Your survival or death is based... You're a ragdoll. Yeah. Your survival or death is based purely on where you happen to be when the plane hit. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's it. Yeah. So, and that's the truth, presumably, of every plane crash. And it is right. very well realized. Mm-hmm. And that disorienting moment of, you know, clearing your eyes and putting the pieces together and seeing, you know, the horrifying reality of what's going on around you, the amount of death that's around you, yeah. and then where you are on the side of a mountain with no obvious way of getting down mm-hmm. ice over crevices that'll drop you <laughs> thousands and thousands of feet uh, that you can't see or predict and weather that is fast and harsh and freezing that you can't see or predict yeah. and i believe at the time they crashed they had several bottles of wine and yeah. several cases of like 
party chocolates or mint chocolates. Yes, they did. Um, Chocolate and and wine. And cigarettes. And cigarettes. Good thing. (laughs) Otherwise, they would have gone crazy on the first day. Um, Wow. Again, it's a horrifying situation because it's completely plausible. Mm -hmm. And I have real doubts of my personal ability to survive or thrive in, in a situation like that. I do not know how to start a fire without a book of matches, you know? Yeah. I do not know how to, know how to find food on a mountainside. <laughs> or how to navigate my way down a mountain. And yeah. then even if I did, once I was down the mad mountain, to know to go left or right. <laughs> you <laughs> <Yeah>. know? Very <laughs> yeah. basic things like I would yeah. not be able to do. And I know this about myself. And uh, I think that the benefit that the characters and that the real people had in the story is that they were young and extremely healthy. The sport of rugby is a punishing, physical, (laughs) violent sport. Mm -hmm. And so they were all in the prime of their lives, between, you know, 16 and 21 years old, and strong and healthy. And uh, that's, it's it's no coincidence that the 16 that came down were all men and all rugby players you know they had that advantage going into it yeah and of course the fact that the people who survived weren't seriously injured in the initial crash because that's what a wolf we as we learn in the in the story uh claims most of the the people who who didn't die in the initial impact yeah, perhaps from their injuries. Perhaps if they'd been able to get them evacuated into a hospital within a few days, mm-hmm. they would be fine. Yeah. But as a result, you know, one woman takes eight days to die of internal injuries. Ugh. And we can only imagine how miserable that would be. No doubt. And yet, after those eight days, the rest of the crew still has, what, what's that, 66 <laughs> days to go? Yeah. In their ordeal. Yeah. And, uh... Some might wonder, you know, was she lucky (laughs) comparatively? (laughs) That's what we're dealing with. That's the level of, 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 ouch. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And they, um, you know, and it's not just um, one level, the whole movie either. Things are happening. It's bad enough that they're up there for 72 days if nothing happened. But of course, not nothing happens. There's, um, they, there's a point where they think they're being rescued. Yeah. Right? And so they eat all their rations because whoops yeah and then whoops hmm there's the avalanche there's the you know so there's the (laughs) the mountain is still making sure that they know that you're you know you're on their territory again i hesitate to call it a horror movie because it is based on true events and it's more of a historical drama but there's genuine horror throughout this movie. It the is avalanche horrific. sequence that you mentioned is probably one of the more realistic and horrific depictions of mm-hmm. an avalanche that I can remember yeah. seeing in a movie. And that also really holds up. But the idea of just being suddenly irrevocably covered in snow, not even being able to move. Mm-hmm. And the question at first being able, like, can I get moved? Can I orient? And then quickly becoming can I breathe? Yeah. And people struggling to dig out as many people as possible and failing. And the fact that people don't get their dramatic soliloquies before they die, you know, all of their character beats aren't wrapped up. We don't get a full picture of who they are and what their wants and dreams were, Mm -hmm. you know. Uh, They were, again, sleeping at the wrong spot. So when the snow fell, they couldn't be dug out in time and they're off the board. We haven't even got to the most famous and controversial and infamous thing about the story. And uh, that is, of course, the cannibalism. 
Mm-hmm. I remember when this movie came out, it was a really big deal. Lots of people talking about it, right? Yeah. And and that makes sense. It's a sensational kind of situation. And uh, they had no other choice. It was that or death. Yeah. That or death. I don't think you're choosing to be a cannibal. I think you're choosing no. to live. You're choosing right. to live. That's right. <laughs> um, and I, I think that it would be, it's a misnomer if people think that this is what this movie is about. I mean, there is a scene where they deal with it and uh, that this is how they have meat to survive, but mm-hmm. it's not a movie about cannibalism. It's no. a movie about surviving. And they, that they was a really good They kept it proportionally the right, um, yeah, the right amount of story mm-hmm. was spent on that. Because it was a big deal for them. They did struggle with getting there. They're humans. Yeah. They didn't, you know, they weren't like, yay, dig in. Mm-hmm. It was hard for them to even acknowledge that that was the only choice they had left. But they did it. But we don't spend the whole movie looking at it either, exactly. right? It just becomes part of the day to day life. And the appropriate weight is, is lent to live. the fact. Like, these aren't, it's not just that they're even eating a human being. It's, people they were sitting next to in the plane I mean, they're friends of theirs people from the same town like yeah yeah it's a heavy subject man. <laughs> and, and you're like and you just said people from the same town and i think that's striking too you know we watched the um documentary that comes with the 20th anniversary edition and i didn't realize this when i watched the movie but all of them were from the same town that makes sense in a rugby team sense yeah. but they all went back to that town and stayed. they live among the families of all those people on the plane, whether they survived or didn't, yeah. you know, and that is amazing. I mean, I, it's natural, I think, for their culture and what have you. Like, it's probably no big deal to them. But for everyone, from from something that is so huge and life-changing, a defining moment for you, it has to be as a person, right? Yeah. And you all go back to the same place. And yet I think, you know, in that documentary, of course, I think there's a lot of healing to be done by being around people that you know went through what you went through i think that culturally they're, they're just more uh they stick they keep to themselves and we're insular generally speaking too mm-hmm. and i think mm-hmm. an event like that where in our world seemed like it would people would go to their own separate corners and and lick their wounds the opposite was true they just sort of nested in and really locked together yeah and i think that yeah. is the flip side of the coin that that i think needs to be said about the movie as well like as much as we talk about how horrifying the plane crash and the avalanche and the fact that they were forced to become cannibals to eat human flesh all of that is really horrifying but there's some really inspirational things about the movie too the fact that the rations were shared that there wasn't anybody mm-hmm. who was being absolutely evil and hoarding food and no. being despicable no. and that everybody was doing everything that they could for each other to survive you know, yeah though when they a- come down the mountain when they do the first little trek into the mountains to see how far they can get yeah. and they find the tail of the aircraft yeah and then they slide back down to where the rest of the plane is on a piece of the airplane. Yeah. <laughs> they toboggan down the hill. Or the the guy's birthday where they make him like a little snow cake and put a cigarette in it. <laughs> Laugh or cry, brother. Laugh or cry. all they have, right? <laughs> Absolutely. But still, you know, like... Um, as I said... That's we, the human spirit, right? We that's know. And I think that's... Really what, great stuff coming through. What gets you through the movie is that you know that there is rescue coming. There is a light at the yeah. end of this tunnel. Yeah. But the real thing, the real nightmare of that situation is imagining being there and not knowing what the ending to the story would be. <sighs> and as the weeks are going by and as you're getting skinnier and skinnier. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, and we see them struggle with that too, right? I don't, I don't remember all their names, but Ethan Hawke's 
characters trying to convince another one, you know, it's it's time. We have to do this. Like, yeah. you've asked me to wait a month. I've waited two months. Now we're, we are. We're getting thinner. We're not going to have the same amount of strength. You know, there's a point where you bite the bullet. Yeah. And they do get rescued, but it is an earned rescue yeah. In every, like 10 days to get out of those mountains. There's a stubborn and sometimes like uh, to the point of killing you sort of survival instinct that sort of kicks in in some people. It says, if I'm going to die, if this is my day that I'm going to die, mm. I'm going to die crawling closer to home. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I understand that. Yeah. And I would not want to be like, wait to the point where I couldn't physically at least attempt if it involves right. risking my life, so be it. I, if if staying is, is suicide, then I will risk my life in the attempt. But I will yeah. not wait until I'm too weak to make that attempt. Yeah. Even just that is kind of inspiring. Like, the, the you know, I guess uh, there's a part of me that says, like, would it be easy just to curl up in the snow and quit and, and die? And that wasn't depicted there. Like anybody who survived, it said like, it would seem like such a miracle to have survived the plane crash that the idea of, of quitting at any point just didn't, yeah, wasn't discussed. It just wasn't discussed. Of course they were frustrated and they were miserable and they cried out and cursed their fates. Yes. But, uh, who wouldn't? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but absolutely. they endured and they survived. And that's the yeah. real important thing about the story. It's not the cannibalism. It's no. that they survived. Yeah. Um, and you say, too, about him, you know, um, wanting to have the strength in order to do it. But when he did have the strength, they'd been there for 62 days. Yeah. Like, 62 days. The guy was already, the whole group was already depleted of energy and health and what have you. And then he takes 10 days of, like, no tools, well, whatever they could MacGyver together, to but really no official mountaineer, to... Descend, go up yeah. and down mountains <laughs> yeah. so they could go get someone like it's that's incredible yeah and the people behind have nothing to do but wait and hope but yeah. until those two guys yeah. left i guess they they were just waiting once those two guys left at there least they hope. were waiting and hoping yeah they anyway, had hope and they had the hope in the first few days but <laughs> i think you're right yeah. you know after months go by clearly there's no one looking for you Anyway, I think Alive is a pretty impressive tale of survival. Indeed. Ladies and gentlemen, it's like we've run into a little bit of rush hour traffic this morning. Unfortunately, it's going to be about a 30-minute delay. I appreciate your patience. We're currently number one for departure. Flight attendants, prepare for takeoff, please. I'd like to be home with my babies. United 93, runway four left, clear for takeoff. Glad to that. Sir, CNN's reporting a light civil aircraft has just hit oh, the World Trade Center. Man, that's a lot of smoke. We got another one. We got another hijack. United 175 dropped his transponder off. We got a possible hijack. Weapons. Scramble those fighters in over Manhattan. Copy that. We've reached our cruising altitude of 35,000 feet, and I'm going to turn the fast seatbelt sign off. You are safe to move about the cabin. Descending rapid. This aircraft is going down, I'm telling you right now. Here's one with juice for you. No, there he is. There he is. Right there. We're up the Hudson River. This is a hijack. He's going to hit this guy. Oh, look at that. Oh my gosh. So in an effort to not talk about the subject of horror movies, we're now going to talk about September 11th, 2001. Yeah, I'm kicking myself. <laughs> Just a little bit. Uh, we have to laugh because if we don't, we cry. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not making fun of anything that happened, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, United mm -hmm. 93 is, I think, a pretty amazing movie written and directed by Paul Greengrass. 
uh, about the airplane that did not reach its destination, which many assume to be the White House itself. Uh, um, the passengers took over the flight, and the flight crashed. Unless you're a conspiracy theorist, in which case the uh, American government shot down the plane. Right. Although, as I discussed with you, I don't know why they would not admit to at least doing one thing right that day. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, yeah. it's a horrifying and it's a true story about 40 people who are on a airplane together and who get to share the last about 96 minutes or so of their lives, which is almost real-time depicted for us in uh, the typical Greengrass fashion. This director has done uh, historical pictures before. Memorably, there's Sunday Bloody Sunday. Uh, um, hmm. But... Uh, more famously has come into favor lately directing the Bourne movies, the last two uh, Matt Damon Bourne movies, uh, mm -hmm. Supremacy and Ultimatum, I think. Maybe. Mm -hmm. um, there was people that accused this of a little bit too soon, yeah. even, even uh, with this much time that has passed, in that people, you know, yeah. are still dealing with the fact that they lost their, their husbands and fathers and mothers mm -hmm. and sisters and... And while that sort of thing goes on regularly yeah. in other places in the world, right? We're mm. lucky to not be touched by it. Yeah. When we are, you really... It shakes. It shakes everyone to the core. Of course it does. Of all the many questions this movie asks, one, one interesting one is that. Is, is there a, a point where it's too soon to approach a serious subject through art? Like, they couldn't have made this movie in 2002. It would just have been disrespectful. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah. Uh, how long until it becomes not disrespectful? Well, That's, and you'll never get a straight answer because yeah. every person will probably have a different feeling about it. It's an it's an important story, and I think again, as uh, as far it is horrifying, but it is also fairly inspiring. Um, I don't know, nor does anyone know how I will face you know the last few moments of my life, but. Uh, I'd like to think that in a situation like this, I would have the courage to go down fighting. Mm -hmm. But it's not necessarily a quality that I see as being innate in me. <laughs> um, and right. I hope, I guess, that I never you have to find You rise to out. the occasion, right? Yeah. So, uh, also it shows both sides of this, too. I, one of the first things we see is one of the uh, terrorists calling home and saying goodbye. And uh, mm -hmm. we're sort of allowed a little bit of emotional access to one of the care terrorists who we feel... He doesn't have doubts necessarily, but he's he's scared. This whole thing sort of terrifies him, and he sort of seems caught up in it in some way. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah. Anyway, uh, that's a prolonged introduction. Ninety-three. <laughs> uh, what were your thoughts? Uh, I also felt it was very strong. It's um. It was one of the harder movies for me to watch. I had not seen it. Um, before, you know, I took on this podcast and, uh, um, of all the movies, this is the one that did touch my life, even if it was from a distance. And of course it was from a distance. It's just the fact that, you know, anyone who was around on September 11th yeah. remembers what it was like. And if you haven't had any sort of moment like that before, of course it sticks with you, you know, yeah. like I remember, for example, calling or talking to my grandmother that day. And, uh, you know, my grandmother was a, <clears throat> a veteran and she was in World War II and she was a nurse and all this. And she told me not to get my panties in a bunch. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And, but she wasn't... Hard bark she, on her. <laughs> but she didn't deliver it in a mean tone or no. anything. But from her personal life perspective, of course, she wasn't saying this didn't have any weight to it. Yeah. 
but it was one of many for her, yeah. which it was one of only for me. So anyway, yeah. I digress. It's hard generationally, to talk about it's comparable to us to the way some people <laughs> felt about like the Kennedy assassination. Yes, where everybody stopped and went, "Oh shit, yes. or the, the world just got worse." And that's that was yeah, the feeling that I was really felt feeling when when September 11 happened. I just remember thinking that this is going to make things worse for yeah. the entire world for a long time. And as history has shown, I was correct. Yeah. I'm not alone in that assumption, I, no. obviously, but um, anyway, it's a, just from all of this preamble, it's a tough subject to get mm-hmm. into, and mm-hmm. the only way to treat it is mm-hmm. absolutely dead seriously. I was talking about how there's lots of sort of puppety, humorous takes on Adolf Hitler. Like, yeah. There might be some sinister uh, stand-up comedian who is trying to figure out a way to make September 11th funny, but... Uh, <laughs> It's yeah. a tough. It's a tough fucking sell. Yes. <laughs> um, United ninety three does not make any of those pitfalls. There's not a joke to be made, and there's serious information given out. Family of the people on board the plane were directly involved with the film as much as possible, mm-hmm. and as much mm-hmm. as they were willing to be. Yeah. And uh, things like the phone conversations, messages left. Yeah. Word for word, verbatim. Yeah. Uh, and that's I, what they did have to work off of off that flight was yeah. the calls, the numerous calls that were made because we just happened to be in that time where they had phones on the back of every, you know, plane seat and uh, the black box recorder yeah. from the cockpit. That's what they had to work off of. Right. So obviously there's some liberty taken in how they got from one step to another. But I think. There um, are gaps, much like we talked about in Downfall. There's no way, way around it. But they they're handled to. very well. Absolutely. They, they're not. Yes. Yeah. But but the specificity of it is very uh, interesting and like they know while the radio was still operational like who the first three people killed on board the plane were mm-hmm. the, who were killed in the initial assault and immediately upon getting into the cockpit what, what went down so um, all of that played out more or less mm-hmm. as authentically as possible uh, <laughs> um, again. It's when you approach it as a movie, I mean, if you know you can't recreate it 100%, then, then some people would say, well, then just don't attempt it. Um, but mm-hmm. with something as touchy as this and with something as recent as this, again, you don't want any, as little artifice as you can possibly put into this. Yes. And that is why there is no recognizable actors as far as real big yeah. names at the time. Some of these actors may have come up since then. I don't, I didn't, none of it really popped for me, mm-hmm. but... Um, mm-hmm. Oliver Stone made a World Trade Center movie that had like Maria Bello and mm-hmm. Maggie Gyllenhaal and Nicolas Cage. Yeah. And for some reason, it just felt like more of a Hollywood production because of that. It wasn't disrespectful or anything yeah. like that, but it was a step removed. Uh, this felt almost like a documentary. Well, and they don't use names as much because they wouldn't have known each other's names. Huh? So that doesn't happen in the movie. And y- yeah. Yeah, they, um, you know, even the beginning parts being in the airport and what have you, it is, I've, I've, I've traveled a lot on planes and it's exactly like that. Yeah. It's it's just another day at the airport, another day boarding a plane, another day giving the opening announcements and getting ready to serve drinks to people and, uh, you know, oh, it was a nice, beautiful day, aren't we lucky? And, you know. (laughs) <laughs> there are elements to this that are absolutely 100% true that if you put them in a movie, people would cry bullshit. Mm. 
the uh, man who w- waved the people onto the plane is interviewed in the special features. Mm. And he said he remembered bringing them in. He, he, he remembered them. And he remembered thinking in his head, man, it, if someone asked me to describe them what I thought a terrorist looked like, this is what I would say a terrorist looked like. But then he remembered his sensitivity training and he let the guys aboard, right? The man who was running the air traffic control. Yes. Was his first day on the job. And he's the guy in the movie. He plays and himself he plays in the movie. In that the is, film. yeah, that is something. So we talk about a striving for authenticity. Yeah. yeah. And that those were true things that I didn't actually know until I watched this movie. Yeah. <laughs> it was kind of like, uh, I really, uh, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. Yeah. Um, I understand why people, you know, there's a lot of controversy around 9-11 itself. And was it a real elaborate fiction and uh, conspiracy theories abound. And I know with huge events like that, that's very common. But I don't feel like I'm being lied to in this movie. I don't get my history from Hollywood, and I'm not saying or endorsing that behavior, but I'm saying nothing in this movie felt false to me. And uh, that is definitely to its credit. Absolutely. Very, very, very well done. And again, another lesson in in history and sort of being able to bring some respect. I don't know. What do you do? What do you do when you watch it from a distance? All you can do is honor what happened to those people and, and, and yeah, and recognize in, in this case, their, their bravery and their courage for taking it in their own hands and saying, we're not going down like that. No. We may go down, but not. <laughs> I don't think we figured in his day at all. Well, here's some good news about this episode of Real Life Horrors. Um, It will allow me to continue to share with the world my huge man crush on Danny Boyle. (laughs) I've talked about, in the past, Shallow Grave and 28 Days Later. And there's another one that I'm missing that we've reviewed already here, I'm sure. Uh, I love me some Danny Boyle. And uh, 127 Hours, uh, it was his follow-up to his Oscar award-winning Slumdog Millionaire. And he went from a fairly elaborate, uh, rich production uh, to something very sort of small and simple, which is the true story of a hiker named Aaron Ralston, Mm -hmm. who found himself trapped with his arm pinned under a boulder and unable to escape and being forced into position in order to survive to have to sever his own arm and walk to safety. In the film, he's played by James Franco, and although there is some setup leading to it, um, that's largely what we have. We have Danny Boyle's directing flourishes and James Franco's James Franco's mug mm-hmm. in a true story of survival. Uh, what did you think? I think it's I think it's strong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's strong. You're right. I mean, and the opening is very much Danny Boyle, you know, dance music, <sighs> shots of very busy urban places, flipping from shot to shot to shot. I mean, I know he's trying to establish the difference between being in part of the urban world and, and choosing to escape into the into the desert and into, you know, the, the outdoors and what have you. But um, 
his his yeah his touch is definitely on this and it's and and it needs to be because to spend 127 hours looking at James Franco and of course it's not 127 hours long but mm-hmm. still the point is is that how do you how do you make that interesting of course it's a harrowing tale of course it's a tale of, tale of survival what he does to get out of it is is drastic and unbelievable and you question whether you could do it yourself you know in yeah. the, in a similar position um, but it's still a lot of time staring at someone who's stuck in one place and can't do anything really right yeah. um and yet he 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 still manages to to make it interesting by touching on largely the things that would go through your head and and sort of bringing us those visions to true to real life you know when he has a dream we see that dream as being a punishingly real experience because he's feverish and delirious so it's kind of real to him as it's happening or that wonderful moment where he sort of phases into being just in his living room watching tv with his parents and then he snaps out of it and realizes that none, all of that was in his head and he's still stuck in this situation. Mm-hmm. One of the great things I think about this film, other than Danny Boyle, who I am in love with, <laughs> um, is that his flaw, this character's flaw, is like something kind of familiar to me in a way that it's his self-reliance, his own sort of confidence almost to the edge of arrogance uh, of that uh, he's got the world by the balls and he can, there's nothing, no situation. <clears throat> Definite arrogance, right? And <clears throat> this sort of hunger for adventure and, and, you know, you can envy his consuming <clears throat> of life, his sort of aggressive sort of take on drinking in every day. But it seems to have a pretty extreme edge to it and that he doesn't take appropriate survival equipment and that instead of going to the cool party with the two hot girls he meets on the, on the trail... He decides to continue about bounding about by himself in this rocky canyon. Well, and that's fine too to be by yourself. I mean, Absolutely. he's you can tell that he's obviously very capable and he's spent a lot of time doing this, right? But you're right. It's it's, it's the more time hardy. you spend, yeah, and the more time you spend in mother nature, the more you should know you're an inviting mm-hmm. uh, you know, just that circumstance is going to arise in one way or another eventually. And in in in, to, <laughs> in today, like I I'm trying to remember what year this was, but certainly there were cell phones. There yeah. were cell phones. Yeah. And I make maybe you can make the argument about reception, but there were decisions. ways. Yeah. There were ways to let people know where you were and what was going on, and he didn't Bring take any of those some precautions. Some safety equipment with you. Let somebody know where you were. Yeah. Uh, you know, just like have a plan so that people knew when you were being yeah. expected back. There was a lot of little things he could have done to make his situation easier. And it didn't even really occur to him until the boulder had him pinned. Mm -hmm. And it's this sort of reassessment of his entire life and then his decision that I do want to go on living and I'm willing to do whatever it takes to do that um, is sort of the inspirational feel-good side of it. The tough angle of it is that it involves breaking and then severing his own arm with... (laughs) A very small, very dull blade. And the process takes over a day. Oh my god! <laughs> I'm sorry, Jack. I'm it's sorry, Jack. I know I'm you didn't squirming. want to watch any horror I'm movies. <laughs> so. No, I know, and it's but it is. That's the reality of the situation. That was the reality of what he had to do to survive. Um, I'm particularly sensitive because I broke my elbow really oh, badly a few No no no. It just it is. And I'm sure for anyone else who's been you know, obviously breaking an elbow is not akin to cutting my fucking oh, no. arm off, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, I get that. But I'm just saying in that realm of 
of pain and what have you, I have some some understanding of what it's like to be dealing with nerve damage and that sort of Absolutely. thing, right? And that was depicted really, really well when he's having to cut through his arms and he's coming across those nerves and, you know, and Danny kind of, I don't know how to describe it really <laughs> accurately, but the screen kind of goes zing yeah. for a second, like you're, you're oh, the, the worst. And I, and I did have to avert my eyes. I could not watch that scene the uh, truth without is, looking away. The truth is, though, as grisly as some of what we are seeing or shown is, is nowhere near as heavy as it could be, mm-hmm. or as, like, I kind of expected. There were yeah. stories of during initial screenings of this, people puking and passing out in the screenings. They're just finding it incredibly intense. Mm-hmm. So I went in there, and, and I and I, I figure I've got some measure of hard bark. And you don't think that maybe that was uh, informed a bit by your torture porn? <laughs> <laughs> hey, but I'm not a fan of torture porn necessarily. No, of course not. But, but like, I'm saying that they go to the nines yeah. to show you as much as they can, right? And that's a... Yeah. But it's not what they show. It's but I'm it's just not the really. it's not the blood and the the knife stabbing in his arm. It's his reactions and it's the sound effects mm-hmm. that squishy, mm-hmm. squeaky, oh. terrible. Oh, and he's kind of out of it and dehydrated, and he's poking his finger around and, yeah. and, and then like oh. pausing to like pass out for a little while, then waking up and then going back to work. You know, seriously. <laughs> I know, like, in the scale of some of the stuff that we've talked about already, this is, again, seems like a really small story. This is one guy pinned behind a boulder, but Danny Boyle sort of lets us be in his head, and his struggle becomes ours after a certain point. Mm -hmm. And James Franco is very good. Hey, like I say, um, I'm not 100% on board the James Franco train, but I will say nothing bad about his performance in this movie. I think he is very, very good in this movie. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean... Yes. Maybe not my first pick to host the Oscars or whatever like that. I don't think he's like a hundred percent, but he definitely. I don't seems, think that's going to happen again. No worries. He, does, he definitely <laughs> seems like an actor or a guy who's willing to try anything. Yeah. And I can respect yeah. that, but I do think he makes there are, broad choices. Yeah. Yeah. But I do think there are things that he does better than others, and I think this is definitely the high water mark. Well, and sometimes you don't know until you do it either, Absolutely. right? Especially when you're willing to to take those risks, you kind of don't know. But yeah, no, it works. Yeah. It works in this one. He's. You do go up and down with him. It's, yeah. The typical Danny Boyle energy is still present, which is funny because of how static the story is. Mm -hmm. There is still a weird momentum to it. Yes. uh, Part of it is the fever dreams and the hallucinations and the dream sequences. But uh, Mm -hmm. it's really impressive, especially that it follows out his best picture. Like, I think that this is, in its own way, a much better film than Slumdog Millionaire. I think that Slumdog Millionaire is a really good movie. Mm -hmm. But, uh... This is a much more challenging, and this is and a definitely not for everyone mm-hmm. type of movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's an impressive story of real life survival. And again, it got me wondering if that was me. Could I do it? Could I do it? God. I mean, maybe now that I have my boys at home waiting for me, I could do it. But maybe, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And again, it's one of those things that maybe you won't know until you're there, and I hope that I never have to find out. I will have a cell phone. Yes. <laughs> People will know where I am. <laughs> I will avoid that situation. No. No, I mean, I'm being a bit harsh, but the truth is, I mean, you can find yourself in a precarious circumstance. And that's the thing. That's the thing about life, and that's the scary thing about watching some of these stories, is that, sure, he's being outdoors, but living life to some degree is dangerous in one way or another. And he's just out trying to enjoy himself on the weekend. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and but- then all of a sudden, he's in life and death circumstances of which... 
he needs to make a terrible choice. There are echoes of another story, and I mentioned this before, uh, Into the Wild. Mm. There's a story of another traveler who comes into a similar bad situation, but it doesn't mm-hmm. end out as well. Mm-hmm. And he had severed all uh, relations with his family. And uh, his family went to the spot where he died and put a little plaque there saying, Call your mom. And there's a basic fire kit and fishing kit for anybody who finds himself stranded in the same bus where this kid had wound up. Mm-hmm. Um, that's sort of the darker end of this same story. This is sort mm-hmm. of a similar story with a happier ending. But the fatal flaw that was in Into the Wild, I think, is, is also explored here. Um, and I think that it's something that everybody has to a certain degree. But it's a real reminder that life is precious. And he was lucky enough to learn the lesson. And he continues to be an outdoorsman adventurer guy today. He just does it with one arm and with a compass and a watch and a first Yes, and I mean, and now he leaves an note. Exactly. <laughs> Where he's um, going to be, right? No, it doesn't, it doesn't break his spirit at all. And that is, that is amazing. But, but you're right. Of all the six stories we have here today... This guy, I feel the least amount of sympathy for. <laughs> although that is not to say I feel no sympathy Absolutely for him, not. but but because he kind of his arrogance mm-hmm. uh, made him not realize the potential seriousness of what he was doing. I go, yeah, you know, and he he is subconscious, and his direct conscious is just screaming at him now that he's strapped there. Why? 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 When it was too late. Yeah. To yeah. And of course you do that. Everybody does yeah. it. And it's oh, very relatable. Yeah. So. Yes. Uh, yes. Big, 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 big thumbs up for 127 hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a heavy tale, but in this bunch, it's actually comparatively a feel-good film. <laughs> we knew a number of expeditions had failed on it, so we knew it was hard. some point you, you're going to have to rely wholly on your partner. I didn't really know what I was letting myself in for. We just lost control. I just felt it was best to get as far away as possible. I was just convinced he was dead. As soon as I saw it, I knew it had been cut. Okay, we're going to talk about a uh, another mountain story, a mountain climbing survival story. This one called Touching the Void, directed by Kevin McDonald. Not the Kevin McDonald from Kids in the Hall, because I know that's what everybody was wondering. <laughs> uh, no, um, this there's nothing not really interesting about this this movie like the story that it's based on is endlessly fascinating the approach that they take to the story is very fascinating because it's half feature and half documentary we have sort of errol morris style interview subjects of the two characters of the film who all of the events happen to we see them plain face directly talking to the lens telling us what happened as it's happening and we cut to this reenactment of, you know, people covered in ice and snow and climbing up and crawling down a mountainside. Incredibly well done um, reenactment. I talked about in the previous reviews as well how, like, there are elements that were true, taken from life, but that you would think were made up in fiction. The elements of this story seem like it's a one of the greatest, deepest novels of literature that you'd ever come across. <laughs> um, there is... 
and we'll get to the specifics as we go, but the two things in, in, in particular that I think it sheds light on to is like, yeah, the crevasse, the decision to carry on when there's no real reason to, and then the great debate of whether or not to cut the rope. Last time you were here, we talked about uh, the reef, where a bunch of people who were on a boat that flipped over in the middle of the ocean had to make the decision to swim or to stay with the adrift boat. Mm-hmm. And what an agonizing decision that would be. This yeah. movie, over and above also being based on a true story, prevents the decision like, you're tethered to a rope, and the rope, no one's responding on the other end. It's dead weight, as far as you can know and see. And you're losing your footing. And the only way to really survive is to cut this rope and presumably end the life of the person on the other end of it. There is so many layers to this story. A badly so injured person on. Yeah. on the other end of it. Yeah. yeah. There's so much going on in this story. Um, yes. uh, I'll just actually break down the basic idea just in case there's somebody listening who hasn't seen the film or know the story. But two, mountain, two, two guys are trying to climb a very rare, sort of difficult mountain face that a lot of people had attempted and failed in the past. And uh, one of them suffers a brutal accident and horribly, horribly breaks his leg. On top of this, bad weather is starting to settle in. And in an attempt to get his friend down the mountain, he starts, he tethers a rope between the two of them. And he starts lowering him down about, I think they said like 90 feet at a time between them. And they just sort of one length of rope at a time start to descend the mountainside. And... Uh, The whole story, like I said, is told by the survivors, and we are shown very realistic reenactments. I always remember watching this movie for the first time, and and almost every time since, really, whenever I see the film, uh, and I do find it has very strong rewatchability, unlike most of the films in this list, um, I feel cold. I I just feel emotionally involved in this movie. It, It gets to me every single time. Um, so I think that Touching the Void is a very powerful and unique sort of real survival story. But I'm, I'm willing to hear a second opinion. <laughs> so what did you think? Oh, but my opinion won't be much different. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's compelling and exciting and, and un, unbelievable to fathom what, what they have to go through and then to hear them they tell you the story directly, yeah. you know, to see, because you pick up more than, than just the words they, they choose, their body language, their reactions. Their, it's all informing you in one way or another what this experience truly was and is there anything closer to that story mm-hmm. than the person who went through it explaining it. No, uh, I mean, it's not, like I say, it's not quite a feature and it's not quite a documentary. No. It's unique in that measure, but yeah. both sides of the coin work completely. There's nothing false about, you yeah. know, the reenactments. Yeah. You know? And they did good things, too, that we talked about in some of the other films that, that I really liked as well, which is, you know, they filmed in the mountains. Yep. They actually went back to the Peruvian mountains that, that this incident had happened in, and it was, it was quite traumatic yeah. for for them. Um and his so anyway that was great (laughs) yes they did go back to the original location they did go back to the original location and and good on them again that gives lens authenticity to it but I, I do have some degree of faith that even if this had been attempted on a soundstage, having the actual guys there telling the story was the real meat and potatoes of this I think yes um yeah 
And uh, I do have utter sympathy for the gentleman who was put in the position and then eventually decided to cut the rope. Apparently in the world of mountain climbers and mountaineering, it's sort of a great debate. It's a, it's a much debated issue of, you know, with a lifeline situation like that, there's a, there's a matter of trust there. And mm. you do not cut the rope. We know the circumstance of the story is, is that as he was lowering his wounded friend down the mountain, he tipped over the edge of the mountain. We it's actually said what that wound was. He, yeah. has a, he has a broken leg. Yeah, his bottom half of his leg is essentially destroyed. Yeah, he came down bad on it as he was going down and realized that he'd broken his... Yeah. Yeah. So, like, he was trying to rescue the man. His intentions were obviously good. And when we say they're scaling down the side of a mountain, this is actually a snow-covered... They're actually climbing on the ice on the side of the mountain. They're, they're essentially just... <laughs> They're, they're, they're completely trusting the And they elements. can't see each other because of the weather, and they can't hear each, hear each other because of the weather. They can't even yell to one another. There's no... Worst possible scenario. The rope is the only communication they have. Yeah. He can't yell up and tell the guy, I'm dangling. And he can't. He doesn't have the strength or the ability to climb up the rope himself. Mm -hmm. So eventually, either that rope's going to be cut, or they're both going to fall to their deaths. Yeah. So the decision is made, and finally, as he's slowly more and more losing his footing and exhausted from sustaining the weight, he cuts the rope, and his friend is dropped into a crevice on the side of this mountain. Yeah, like that wasn't bad enough, the circumstances as is. What we've described is the first half of this ordeal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's just the start. Yeah. I mean... It's a, it, like I say, the, the story is unbelievably deep and fascinating. I would believe, I would compare it to like old man in the sea levels of literature, of the amount of things psychologically that you can pull out of this story. And yet it was all real things that just happened. A weird series of events. Um, yeah, and, and, but the end result was this guy had to, um, use every little thing he had in him and more that he didn't even know that he had to get himself out of this circumstance and it is one long journey <laughs> after another yeah. like because of course you know as you go up a mountain there's there's different um um different phases if you will right so you talk about the ice and the rock and then there's snow but then there's there's trees or there's rocky faces and so he has to go and you know he's in this ice crevasse right now yeah. so now you're dealing with that but then as soon as he finds his way out of that which is unbelievable that he even does that yeah. he's just into his next long you know <laughs> <That's> <laughs> through, the, through rocks or whatever it is next it's just almost it's never 16 kilometers ending. or something to where they were camped or something ridiculous maybe it's not With that long. a broken leg yeah and uh but again the decision when he comes to in that pit and it's pitch black and there's nothing but ice around him and his leg is broken and he realizes that he can't climb out of where he is so his options are either to stay there and die he, his friend is likely going to be able to get down the mountain by himself now and someone will come and look for him but in this ice crevice they're never going to find him, right? They're just not. No. So the decision no. he makes is to try to crawl down, go down in deeper into the crevice, into the darkness, and just hope that he lucks into a way out. And oh my goodness, he does manage to do that. And again, if this was a work of fiction, you would call bullshit. 
And then, like you say, upon being birthed out into the world at the bottom of the mountain, he has to crawl in delirious, like, uh, fever dream state back to the campsite, where he arrives hours before they had decided they were going to leave. Yeah. And a lot of things... And can you imagine going through all that to discover there was no one there? That camp oh, he would have died oh, there. And he would have been the, the quintessential example of the guy who would die crawling closer to home. But uh, oh. there's a lot of things that make you believe in fate. And like I say, I am a fairly skeptically minded person in a lot of things. But mm. um, the man who made it down the mountain didn't leave right away. He just stayed there for a few days. He burned the man's clothes in some sort of weird ritual as a way to sort of like, I don't know, rite of passage stuff. He was that sure that he had killed this man. Yeah. And there was no reason for him to stay those extra days. And he did. And because he did, he saved his friend and owed him a new wardrobe. <laughs> Important things to note. The two men still talk, as far as I know to this day, mm-hmm. and that there's no animosity between them as far as how dare you put me in that position. No. So uh, no. it may be debated in the world of you know extreme sports as to whether or not that was the right decision. But between these two friends, it's not. No. Um, but I do understand why both of them, even though one's experience was much more physically brutal and grueling than the others, both of them having long and deep scars from this, I absolutely understand. Sure. Um, I cannot endorse Touching the Void enough. And I don't think it's a movie a lot of people have seen. It's probably one of the more obscure titles out of this list of films. Yeah. And I do think that if there's a list of films that I was to give someone saying that you just need to see before you you die, Touching the Void has to be on there. Because of, like I say, it's a small, simple story of survival, but it touches on huge universal themes. There's no corner of the story that isn't fascinating and horrifying. Yes. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm a big fan. I have to find every rack, bury that hem, burn it. The list is alive. All around, its margins lies the cup. Well, we started with the horrific movie set during World War II, and... We're going to end with another horrific movie set in World War II. Uh, this film is directed by Steven Spielberg, and it is called Schindler's List. Um, it is about a businessman named Oscar Schindler who gets mixed up with the Nazi party um, and, and has strong ties to them leading up to the events of the war, but upon seeing the full reality of it, and after befriending uh, a Jewish fellow named Itzik Stern, Itzik Stern um, endeavors to hide and protect as many of his Jewish workers as he can. Um, 
It's a true and controversial story since he was so had so many close ties to the Nazi party. A lot of people think that uh, in any way trying to make him a hero is kind of questionable. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, he did save a lot of people's lives. He may have helped some people who were costing lives, but in the end, I do think he meant he tried to save as many people as he could. He did uh, what he could with the resources he had at the moment. Yeah. Um, did he turn a blind eye to a lot that of stuff lot. that was obviously evil? He must have, yes. But uh, I think in the end, uh, he was not quite the villain that the company he kept were <laughs> anyway. Um Needless to say, because of the subject matter, because we're dealing with, you know, people being burned alive, and some of the most realistic portrayals of physical violence and gunshot wounds that I I ever remember seeing, it's probably one of the biggest drawbacks to being, going to high school in the early 90s, was that uh, you were subjected to a theatrical screening (laughs) of Schindler's List at a very impressionable age. And because I was already a film nerd at the time, I already had run out to theaters to see the new Spielberg movie, and it already had my heart ripped out once. <laughs> so then I got to go with the class to see it round two. At least I was a little bit more prepared for it, so I felt like I was able to sort of keep in my emotion, because this movie is, will put you through the emotional ringer. and yeah. uh, it's, it's horrifying, necessarily horrifying, and it's a necessary lesson yeah. in just how bad things can get uh, for humanity, just how bad people can get and uh, how what, what people are reduced to in the needs to survive. Um, obviously, it's a very powerful film, and there's a lot of things impressive about it. It's over three hours long, it's in black and white, the performances are compelling, But one thing I'm going to say, and it's not directly to do with the subject of it, but I think it is one of the things that most impresses me, is that Spielberg didn't just direct one movie this year. He directed two. He directed Schindler's List and Jurassic Park in the same year. Put those two movies next to each other, like, seriously, and think about the mind behind that and being able to juggle that. Has he spoken about it? Was Jurassic Park like basically, the antidote to Schindler's death? Because he could shoot basically the actors for Jurassic Park and then he'd have to wait to do all the post-production and get all the special effects in. He would be shooting Schindler's List and then sort of, as a break, he could go look at dinosaur footage, right? To sort of get his head he, out of he it. He shot Schindler's List on the side? No, he'd already shot the principal photography, I believe, for Jurassic Park, right? Okay. So, but they were doing the dinosaur digital effects. Yeah, but that's what I meant. He was doing Jurassic Park. Yeah. And then he had a downtime, and during his downtime, <laughs> he thought he would do Schindler's but List. But I kind of get it. I kind of get it. crazy. If every day you're on a very realistic set of an internment camp depicting horrible violence, oh, when you get back to your hotel room, yeah. maybe you want to see with the newest digital rendering of your T-Rex smashing through a wall. Maybe that's exactly what you need to go to bed without crying yourself antidote exactly but i'm just thinking as a feat of filmmaking the fact that these two movies were created by the same man over roughly the same period of time is unbelievable and jurassic Uh, park broke new ground too in its own way right they're both historic films in their own right i do want to put the focus back on schindler's list itself but i just wanted to mention Mm -hmm. that because Mm -hmm. i think that's kind of amazing (laughs) so um 
the characters that we meet in this story are all more or less true people from history. Um, I don't know about all the names and faces from the internment camps because I don't know how or if they would have access to the specific things. But we do know there are stories that uh, they're all inspired, at least, by a nugget of truth. There are extrapolations. Um, and because we are seeing person after person being brutally killed, and we're seeing children hiding in the bottoms of outhouses, and we're seeing bodies being dumped, stacked, and burned, and their ashes raining down on the town like snow in a weirdly beautiful image. <laughs> um, you know you're in the hands of an amazing filmmaker, but the, it, it, it's overpoweringly unpleasant. It's an endurance test. Like I said, when I took that movie off the shelf <laughs> to watch it, it had a coat of dust on it. I have a lot of respect for this movie, but it's certainly not something that I revisit again and again. That's exactly right. And I was in the same circumstance. I think the last time I saw Schindler's List, I was 17. Yeah. You know, and um, part of the reason that I took this list was because I felt like I should watch it again. Mm -hmm. Right? Like that history lesson portion that, I don't know, showing your respect for those people who went through that or just, I don't know, um, something about it. I thought I should watch it again. But it was the last movie I watched. Yeah. I could not bring myself to do it until I had to yeah. do it. <laughs> it felt a little bit like homework. And I don't know if that's a point for or against yeah. it, but I do think that it was a necessary thing for Spielberg to make it that hard. Um, he did another not, nowhere near as good war film, Saving Private Ryan. Mm -hmm. uh, the first 15 or 17 minutes of that movie is this sort of very intensely, powerfully violent war sequence of war. And... Um, if the entire movie had been that, it would have been probably closer to Schindler's List as far as quality, but it would have been just... You, people would have been leaving the theaters, not because it was a bad movie, but because they would just be physically and emotionally exhausted by the, the horrifying spectacle. Mm -hmm. I respect that he went real with it, but it does hurt the rewatchability. doesn't mean it's a bad movie. It just means it's not something that <laughs> you can just throw on, especially because it's, it's three hours. They still show it to kids in high school today. Yeah. And and they should. Yeah. They should, you know, I think that was part of the reason when I was when I was 17 or when you know, when I first watched it and um I was so upset. Of course. I cried the the whole <laughs> movie and um I I knew about World War 2 and I I knew about what what went on and I'd heard about it. I hadn't spent 3 hours thinking about it yeah. and it's staring me in the face. Um, the second time I watched it, I really was when I was picked up the story, and I think that was the last time I watched it. I'm gonna say something. It leaves an impression, but it should. I'm gonna say something, and it's horrifying, and it's true. I was aware of the Holocaust. Oh. I, I was aware of of history and what had happened here, but <clears throat> perhaps to my shame, but I don't think I'm saying it on my own behalf. In a way, Schindler's List, this Hollywood film from Steven Spielberg, made the Holocaust real to me. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Again, I say that I was a kid when I saw it. Mm -hmm. I didn't watch it when I was in my 30s. I watched mm -hmm. it when I was a teenager. But uh, uh, it's one thing, you know, to say that thousands of people died at the end of a gun or in an oven. It's another thing to see it and to see how it would be. The only thing, the only thing that can take you a layer detached from it is the fact that it was in black and white. And in a way, it was sort of a beautiful artistic approach, but it was also a mercy. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. Uh, and it is unflinching, you know. You see graphic depiction of violence and nudity as you would. They were all stripped before they were sent to the gas chambers, and they show that honestly and authentically. And, mm-hmm. of course, it is necessarily And, and yet, yeah, in watching it, especially with these other five movies, it, it is, like, exactly what you're saying. Uh, uh, it brought the truth to light to me when I saw it too it really hit it really hit home but in watching with the other ones it's not as it could even be grittier than it is right there is a stylized approach to the story that's being told and that's not to knock it I don't I like it you know it works it works but it's um touching the void doesn't stylize itself yeah right it, it, well i mean touching the void went its own direction by and being, i'm not saying that yeah and that's not wrong either do you know what i mean yeah. maybe apples and oranges a bit it's true there are <laughs> devices that i question in, in in schindler's list though uh there are a few moments where they use color the lighting of a candle the flame is actually we see it burn in, in, in bright color especially in the contrast to the gray and dark environment and of course i think most controversially the little girl in the red coat mm-hmm it's not that I think that it's a necessarily a bad choice, but I want to know why it's there. When something sticks out that loudly, I want to understand its meaning. Um, she was a very beautiful, cute little girl who was trying to hide, and for some reason her coat burned bright red in contrast to the stark black and white of everything else. And then later, when we see all the bodies being dumped in the pit, when we see that right red coat sort of pop out, we recognize she has been caught and killed along with the rest of them. But why is that there? Why is her death more significant than all the rest? Why? I, I don't understand what's behind that choice, I guess I would say. I, I don't know to speak for it or against it, but I would say that I don't understand it fully. And I don't know. I mean, I know what you're saying, but I, I just think it's his way of bringing some symbolism. You know, like we, we talk about it's it's a it's a you have to be very gentle with it i think in these circumstances when you're telling someone else's true story yeah but there but i think people want to make their mark on it regardless and this was his choice to make his mark on this story using this little girl yeah. as a piece of symbolism in the film it's and, stuck out and, to and me really and, and it does and it's meant to right but but really when i watched it again too she's she's used very sparingly yeah you know, it's certainly not a focus by any means. It's but but it does catch you because it's a little girl in a bright red coat. You know, um, yeah. Anyway, so it did bug me as much. Uh, Liam Neeson and Ben Kingsley headline the film, and they're really good. But mm-hmm. I think the performances that kind of own the movie oh, yeah. are uh, Ray Fiennes, yes, as sort of the man in charge of the yes. of the camp who spends his days randomly torturing and killing the prisoners. Um, and M. Beth Davids as a Jewish prisoner that he takes in under his wing mm-hmm. and seems to have fallen in love with, which is entirely against his nature of hate and evil. Um, and they're both very brave performances, especially Ray Fiennes' is sort of embracing of a character who is terrifyingly, brutally evil and who has lived his entire life being able to be a bully and a, a violent brute with no repercussions mm-hmm. ever presented to him. Yeah. Um, and he's he's happy about it. He's it, he's it, he's so he is so sure what he is doing is the this absolute. This is where he was made to be. This is what he was built for. It's interesting. You know, that in a way, this, a, this is this the role w- that made Ray Fiennes in a lot of ways, which is kind of crazy when you think about it subsequently. <laughs> it's brutal, but he owns it. Yeah. You know, it's no yeah. 
the, uh, the performance is, is unflinching. And for him to go out on the deck of his, his villa <laughs> and have this naked girl on his bed and he's just picking off Jews who are just walking back and forth trying to do whatever work they are doing in this internment camp. No, we're doing anything wrong. Just doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing. Yes, yeah. Just killing people as casually as you would take on your... put on your sneakers. Just icy and terrifying. It's a long, brutal, tough history lesson, and it's very much worth watching. It is ugly and it is repugnant and it is honest um i kind of like my historical spielberg in a lot of ways i like it when he try you know does the real world things like this and then munich and i although i have my problems with saving private ryan i really I like where his where his heart was at there mm-hmm. you know and his approach to the historic medium so um i have a lot of great things to say about schindler's list uh, but like I say, it's it's a bitter pill. There is no sugar to help this medicine go down. And I understand that choice and respect it. But uh, when this goes back on the shelf, I don't know when it comes down again. Maybe when my kids are old enough to maybe face that, that ugly truth. Yeah, yeah. I won't be watching it again yeah. for, a, for a long time. And that's by no means disrespectful. Everyone should watch it. At Perhaps, least, at least once. Perhaps the reason that Jurassic Park was made concurrently is that we can use it the same way Spielberg did. You can watch some Schindler's List, and then as an antidote afterwards, <laughs> you can watch Pop some Jurassic, Jurassic Park, Park and see if that yes. meddles the story. Six totally feel-good, happy, happy films on real-life horror. I'm sure glad we weren't watching horror movies, Czech World. (laughs) (laughs) No, actually, this was an interesting episode and sort of a a different one. Uh, I like that. Um, And you're you're always welcome. Please come again. Um, But it is now your duty to rank and review these movies. And I don't mind saying that this was a tough list to rank. Because in their own way, I'm just going to drop this right now. Each of these movies are kind of fantastic, I think. Like, they're really good examples of them. Um, 90% of my movie collection are horror movies. So the movies that I have outside of that collection sort of are thinner examples of the genre. So I think this was a pretty potent list as far as the quality. So I am sympathetic that it is a difficult list to rank. But Mm -hmm. rank it you must. (laughs) So... (laughs) Well, and you said it. They're all very strong movies, and I mean that's why I'm sitting here, sort of wringing my hands, and <clears throat> I've I've made a choice to rank them. But I don't know. Ask me tomorrow, and I might change it. <laughs> they're they're so neck and neck in so many ways, and the the way they choose to tell the stories are different. And yet, is it wrong? Does it not work? No, it works. You know, and mm-hmm. so I, ah, uh, such with such difficulty, um, 
here. I, I will tell you now. All right. <laughs> Number six, um, Alive. Okay. I chose Alive because of the 90s storytelling aspect to it in the sense that I mentioned in, you know, in the review that it was, it was a bit dated and a bit light for me. And not to say it was bad. It was not. (laughs) (laughs) But just uh, the more authenticity, uh, the better, Mm. I think, even though that makes me feel worse, generally speaking, when watching it. Lives in six. Number five, 127 hours. This is not a bad movie. No, nope. nope. it's a very good movie. <laughs> it's a very good movie. It's uh, yeah, he does a great job. He does a great job, and like and like you said, I mean the the momentum of the piece is is where Danny Boyle really comes in and 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 brings it along, and he does, but he doesn't take anything away from from what that moment, that time, those 127 hours were, for him. So. Uh, next I, I did Downfall and also a very strong movie. <laughs> I know I'm a broken record, but that's <laughs> what this list is. Yeah. It's full of strong movies. And I, you know, I don't really have a, a great reason other than I had to rate the other ones. So that's where yeah, that, kind of, that one place. kind of fell to four. Yes. Three. United 93. Um, I, it does. It's a fantastic movie. It does a fantastic job. Um, two, Schindler's List. Don't hate me. <laughs> Don't hate me because it's not number one. Yeah. Like it's. It, Larry and I talked about this several times. I mean, it's it's hard to step away from the subject matter, but you can't rate it based purely on that. That that. I'm asking, <laughs> what was your what was the best in your to your opinion of these six movies? What was your favorite one? That's not what was the most important, what was the most significant Mm-mm. story being told. It was and yet, absolutely, its significance still makes it part of the top of the list. Yeah. Because that's a hard story to tell, but it needs to be told and people need to be reminded why we don't let people go down that path. Yeah. And yet, of course, acknowledging genocide is still very real in our world today, right? But there are some harsh realities. We should be looking at them not being ostriches with our heads in the sand, right? So, uh, number one, I put Touching the Void. I can't say enough good things about it, and I didn't. You did a lot of the saying the good things about it, but I I agree. (laughs) I agree, I agree. It's a harrowing tale. It's fascinating. It's, It's the documentary kind of mixed with this actual retelling, and they went to the mountains to do it, and it's just... It's incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. We have very, very, very similar lists, but no no gifts are going to be given out today, so there's <laughs> no prizes to share. Um, but like I say, I'm very sympathetic because it's a difficult list to rank. And when we started <laughs> out, when I started listening to your list, I was like, oh, snap, is today the day? I also put Alive at number six. I mean, I think that it's a fantastic movie, and I find the, the subject fascinating and and like i said it was equal parts horrifying and kind of inspiring but like you say there were more moments in that than in any of the other movies where i was reminded that i'm watching a movie some of them not even the movie's fault every now and then i just sound like man ethan hawk looks so young in this movie (laughs) and that's not even a fair way to to like criticize it or anything Mm -hmm. like that but But. something had to be at the bottom of the list and there it was 
I have even more uh, mixed feelings about placement of number five because of my man crush on Danny Boyle. But I also agree with you that number five is 127 Hours, which is a movie that I think is fantastic, that I love, from one of my favorite directors. <laughs> I know the physical medium is dying, but there are a few directors that I will buy a physical copy of their movies for as long as they are available to be got. So the Coen brothers and Danny Boyle and Wes Anderson are all in safe business for me, right? <laughs> um, so the fact that any Danny Boyle, even his worst, would rank as low as fifth in any of these lists is kind of insane to me, but, but there it is. That's where it ranks. But here's where it gets real. <laughs> Number four is Schindler's List. Wow. Um, again, uh, I find it a, like a grueling emotional experience. It's a torturous thing to watch in a lot yeah. of ways. And uh, that makes it unpleasant and hard to watch and revisit. Um, <clears throat> but it's all necessary. I understand why it is the way it is. But at three hours and 15 minutes, I do find it punishing. Like, it wrecks my day, this movie. Yeah. And that means it's powerful and that it's made by a gifted filmmaker. And like I said, yeah. I, I, this is not me saying it's a bad movie. No. But if I'm ranking this as, as you know, where I'm going to put it on the list, that's where I'm putting it on this list. And uh, I know for some people that will be outrageous and controversial. Mm -hmm. um, but I treat Schindler's List in the same category movie as I treat Downfall, uh, which is my third place contender in this mm -hmm. list. Um, I think they're exactly the same in that they're absolutely authentic approach and they're necessarily harsh approach. But because of how harsh it is, it just makes it grueling and, and unpleasant. To be fair, though, Downfall was 45 minutes shorter <laughs> than Schindler's <laughs> List, so it was a little bit of an easier pill to swallow. And that might honestly be the only reason that I put it ahead. I don't know. It's, it was tough. Yeah. Those two, Schindler's List and Downfall, you could almost, like you said, on a given day, flip them back and forth. But I am fairly comfortable with my number two and my number one. Um, my number two is United 93. Um... I just thought, I was just really impressed with the docudrama style. I like Greengrass. I like the way he gets you right into it. The fact that he was in direct contact with the families of the survivors, that he used people who were there on the day as members of his cast, um, the respect shown to the subject matter, and the braveness to tell it that soon after the fact, when the world really needed to have some real information on 9-11 because of the amount of misinformation mm -hmm. uh, in a way like I say I, I would never tell you to get your history lessons from Hollywood but uh, this is a rare exception of a film that I do think could almost sound like a, a historical document because it does feel that genuine to me mm -hmm. but I'm 100% with you for number one is touching the void high five high five touching the void um, because it's a such a small story but what it touches on is universal it's as big a story as all of these in, in its own way. And um, the boldness of the technique of doing simultaneously a, a documentary and a feature film at once. I mean, we've seen versions of this. Again, he wasn't breaking new ground, but in such a mainstream film, you know, it's, it's an interesting approach. And it works 100%. I never felt pulled out of the reality. I still felt terrified for the characters, even though they were telling me the story. I knew, of course, they would necessarily have to survive to tell me the story. But I was still like, oh my god, what if he gets there and they've already left? <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, that it achieves that is impressive. Um, and and uh, it's it, it was horrifying, and like I said, it left me chilled and sort of inspired at the same time. But it is something that I can revisit. It is something that I can encourage people to watch mm-hmm. and say, yeah, there's some moments of this that'll really make you cringe, but you will be glad that you watched it. And yeah. uh, as just a as just a film in of itself beyond any other category. I just think it's so strong and so memorable. Uh, I have to, have to put it at number one. But uh, I know there are people who are going to want my head for putting Schindler's <laughs> List at number four. So uh, if you want to do that, you go ahead and you, you write me here at rankandreview at gmail.com and uh, tell me just how wrong I was. But uh, this was a tough list. Yeah. This was a tough list. And every single movie in this movie was high quality, you know, uh, their inclusion on the list, being nominated for the selection of <laughs> movies, should just be prize in of itself. Yeah. And um, I, you said that you, if you've already agreed that you're going to do another episode, I don't know what it is. Yes. But I'm hoping that maybe we do something lighter, like I don't know, slasher cinema. Guaranteed. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I don't know, we'll find something cozy for you. <laughs> but I like that in an effort to avoid watching six horror movies, yes! we watch like six of the darkest movies ever, ever, ever. But because they're true stories, they're not horror stories, they're historical drama. I, I found a lot of horror in this, I'm not going to lie, I'm not going to lie. Um, but yeah. thank you so much for returning, Charlene. Uh, big love, big You're love. Welcome. There it is. Episode 28 is behind us. Um, we'll be back to business as usual in the next episode and uh, back to horror movies and yet a much lighter tone, I imagine. If you'd like to send feedback, you can do so at rankandreview at gmail.com. Please seek us out on Facebook and on iTunes. Subscribe, leave a review, and spread the word. This is your host and random Canadian, Larry Parsons. Thank you so much for listening.